You are now listening to the High Def Performance Podcast, hosted by Mitch Harb and Zach Smith. All right, man. Well, let's let's get this thing rolling. So, first first question I want to ask you is, you know, strong by science. That's kind of that's been your thing. Um, what does that mean to you, and, and how did that come about? Why did you choose that as as your brand? Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know actually. It fit well. <laughs> Looking back on it, it's kind of a good lucky roll of the dice when it came to that name. Um, I could make up some bullshit answer. I'm a lot of swear, right? Is that fine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you're good to go. Sometimes I'm on these and I can't, and I totally do. And I, I was on a lecture the other day and I just started cussing. And I realized, oh, this is not a podcast. They're like, mute, mute. <laughs> I was like, oh, my bad. Um, no, um, it, honestly, it was just a name. I could give you some, you know, cheesy answer that, you know, science gives you strength and confidence in what you do and having some evidence behind you're doing uh, retro, that'd be some great revisionist history by myself. Um, <laughs> as if I had the, the foresight to pick a name that allowed me to say such, it honestly was just, I, I, I don't know. I like science. I like being strong and I think it helped me get stronger. So, uh, at the time I thought strong by science was a fitting name. <laughs> there you go, man. So, I mean, sometimes you just got to make the meaning of the, of the name kind of like our company too. We were just like, we, we have a funny story behind how we created our name too. And you know, sometimes you just got to make it, make it what it is. And it seems like that's kind of what you've been building in your brand, which has been cool to watch for sure. Um, so what, what I've been most interested in watching kind of like some of your content has been the plyometric stuff. And because my background in sports was in uh, track, so I was a long and triple jumper, basically my entire career, probably over a decade of training was just pure plyometrics. Um, so, you know, what I was wondering from, from you is, uh, how, how do you program your plyometrics? And also how do you balance loading and training with, with like preventing injury and things like that to not allow an athlete to become too overloaded during plyometrics? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a not as difficult process as I people think if you have patience. And that's kind of the key word is patience. Um, if you think about it in a very, very simple manner, you kind of have the engine or the fuel, like the rocket ship example, you have the thrust and propulsion, but then you actually have the, you know, the fuselage, the actual ship itself that has to be able to handle it. And so if you want to be able to perform plyometrics and jump and run, unfortunately, as we get older, we kind of stop playing right and so as kids you probably don't really need much of a prerequisite a ton because you're on the playground at least when i was growing up you jump on things you run on things and every day you're running and doing mm -hmm. something that's very impactful but then you get people who are like you know i'm 24 i'm 34 whatever they are and they want to get back into running jumping and sprinting well that becomes a little bit of a different uh play there because they haven't jumped or ran maybe in like five or ten years sometimes and so um, you got to look at the athlete's background first and foremost. And going back to that kind of rocket example, that person might have been squatting a whole bunch and lifting a whole bunch, and they have a lot of propulsion there, but they don't have much of an infrastructure to handle any of that, uh, the contacts and demands. And so you'd really introduce them just like you would if you are to squat for the first time with an athlete who's a track and field athlete. You don't want to load them to 90, 100% effort. You want to start them at like 65, 70 to see how they move the bar. In that same fashion, we're talking about plyometrics. It's okay, let's not 
jump as high. You can jump, but not as high as you can every time. Don't see and look at what these elite athletes are doing and try and mimic it right away. You got to build your way into that. And so there's a couple ways you can look at it. There's a tissue structural standpoint. Um, am I allowing my tendons to have enough exposure to lower velocity movements? And if you're a squatter, you probably have. So um, that you're probably okay there. Then have I done high velocity work at all? And odds are probably no. And so you might want to introduce some segueing type exercises. So movements such as a sled push are a great way to start off because you're not dealing with the same vertical impacts. Heck, just doing a faster squat isn't a bad idea. Um, don't be afraid to do some calf raises. People don't for some reason want to do that either, but that's very important. And you kind of slowly build into it. Um, and that's kind of the easiest way to think about it. And to give myself a total cheap plug here, because I'm a big fan of that. I just put out a, a plyometric prep program on my uh, Train Heroic set, uh, set up there. Nice. And the whole basis of that is there's a lot of people want to do plyometrics, but they don't know where to start. Yeah. And you really got to think, okay, and the program is designed to kind of fit in anything. It focuses on three areas. We do movements. So you're running and jumping lightly, but you also do isometrics for extended period holds and you do slow eccentrics because you're targeting the areas that are probably going to rev up and bother you. And that's typically Achilles tendonitis and, you know, patellar tendonitis. Yep. Best ways to probably prevent those are through, uh, assuming you don't have much equipment with you, you're going to be through isometrics and low tempo kind of mechanical loaded uh, leverage position. So really kind of using your own body weight in the best way possible. And that's kind yeah. of the easiest way to think about it. We get the propulsion. Everyone wants to dunk. Everyone wants to run fast and jump high. Yeah. But no one likes to actually think about how can I, um, you know, if you want to jump high, you got to practice jumping. So yeah. if you want to jump, but you can't jump because your infrastructure can't handle it, you're not ever going to jump high because you're going to keep getting hurt too quick. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, definitely ramp it up the load. And I like that when you talk about the eccentric and kind of uh, tendon stiffening and tendon strengthening uh, to prevent those. I think that's really important. Yeah. Now, one thing I want to ask about, because, you, you know, a lot of your, your content's geared towards ath athletes and just athletic movements. And I feel like there's, there's these two camps in, in things that I read. There's the super sport specific, like everything should be specifically related to a sport and then there's the other camp i was just reading a, a book and it was like that doesn't make sense because if you just build overall strength you're going to be strong in those sport specific movements anyway what is what is your thought on that and what would you kind of prescribe yeah um i i think there shouldn't be as much confusion as there is um, a lot of the confusion comes down to what we call sport specific i think first and foremost um, if people want to run and jump. That's great. But you also, like I mentioned earlier, you got to reflect on what you've done in the past. Uh, you know, you, you maybe were a Ferrari at one point and you're not currently a Ferrari anymore. So don't try and go 250 around a racetrack. Uh, not yet. You can get back there. Um, but when we talk about like general strength, general strength is kind of your potential to do something. And so if I get strong, I lift. Um, you have are building the raw physiological potential, the strength of the muscles, the cross-sectional area of the muscles to express lots of force. Now, what happens is when you go play a sport and you have, this is really critical for people who haven't played sports, because if you're talking about just an athlete, for example, you can probably get away with a lot of general strength because they're being exposed to their sport. And the easy way to think about it is kind of like this. The sport itself is, is the boiling pot of water right? But the ingredients you put in to make the soup is your general preparation. So your potential to make a great soup is based on the ingredients that you have. Mm -hmm. The ability to actually use the ingredients is based on the boiling water, the cooking, 
the potential. So the sport-specific movements are designed to utilize the ingredients that you're building. What happens is if people take a pause and they either only boil water, they don't have much potential, they're never gonna make a good soup, or they only cut up ingredients and all of a sudden their pot isn't even boiling yet, so they put all these potential in there, but they're not actually doing anything sport-specific, you're not gonna see any results either. You're gonna have a cold, gross, mush thing <laughs> come out of it. And so we gotta think about, okay, my sport-specific movements allow me to transfer my general physical abilities. And so if I, I like to think about a lot of my stuff as general power development. Yeah. What I post and talk about, you can use as a baseball player, you can use as a football player, you can use as a basketball player. The skill is where you might wanna seek out a specific coach. What's the jump mechanics like? What are my swing mechanics like? How do I throw? How do I tackle? Now, that's going to let you utilize your physical potential uh, in that. So, again, you got to have the ingredients. You got to chop up, you know, your carrots and whatnot. But you also need to make sure, you know, your, your pot's boiling, too, so you can actually cook something. And not to get on a side rant, because I do this a lot, but I think one of the big issues is people, they think about just the weight room movements, but what happens is you go, okay, I've been squatting a lot. I've been squatting fast. I want to go jump. We forget that a lot of movement in sport actually occurs through an open chain preparation stage. So you don't actually do anything from a grounded position that often. No one gets a handoff and then their feet are in place and somehow like jump cut and, you know, go up the middle. No, they're moving and they see something cognitively. There's a cueing. Oh, I see someone move okay, that tells me I need to go left now. But what happens is you don't make that decision um, while you're grounded. You make it in a cyclic, what's called a feed forward manner. So I see someone, I prep and I go and I move. What's mm -hmm. happening there is it's actually being very, very heavily um, dependent on your ability to organize the muscle contractions, which include your ankle. And that's a big kicker because a lot of people in the weight room don't do anything for their ankle. They don't do any jumps. They don't do any calf raises. They don't do any uh, basic shuffling movements. And so you have this massive potential, this big engine, and you have a good infrastructure, but your wheels are flat, mm -hmm. right? You got to make sure you have some wheels on the car too. The thing about yeah. the whole infrastructure, right? You got to have, yeah. you know, something that, that the bolts on the spaceship that hold it in place. Yeah. So that's kind of what I think about when in terms of uh, plyometrics or programming or how even an athlete um, you know, or as someone looking like, okay, I need to get strong or do I, do I need to do sports specific movements? You kind of need to do both, but understand really heavily where you are as a person. Yeah. Well, and my, my question is like, like the argument was like everything you do in sports is played on one foot, right? So why would you back squat? Cause you're always running or, or that's, that's like a that. dumb argument. <laughs> yeah. I'll be first. I'll be first to battle that just purely scientifically. That made no damn sense. Okay, yeah, you do things on one foot. You know, I eat on my bowl of cereal with one spoon. I can't throw a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. Right. You know, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. uh, you know, if I'm thinking about – the, I just had a conversation with someone this other day. There's a lot of benefits to single-leg exercises. Don't get me wrong. Tons of benefits. And there's benefits they have that bilateral exercises don't have. But the argument that this is somehow going to make you better on one foot just – doesn't make a ton of sense to me because you can see research studies where they do, there's a literally research study that looks at, you know, a hack squat versus a back squat for a jump height. And the hack squat created better gains in jump height. So that turned the whole barbell community on its head, but it's pretty obvious. It's called the stability force paradigm. When you're really stable, you can produce lots and lots of force. 
right? And when you're really unstable, you can't produce much force at all. And so if I'm working the pure contractile properties of my muscles, I probably want to be very stable because I'm working on the ability to express and develop force. If I want to develop force expression in sport, well, I practice movements that help organize and orchestrate a complex motor biomotor pattern, that of the movement. So think about a Bulgarian split squat. I've never met someone who has done a Bulgarian split squat and now can somehow have beautiful jumping mechanics. Right? I've never seen that happen. Yeah. I have yet to come across this. Otherwise, one of the 65-year-old clients I work with would be dunking left and right. Um, <laughs> yeah. and it's not the case. It, it just isn't. But you might use a single leg exercise because, in theory, it helps with reducing the amount of load an athlete has to handle on that one limb. It might activate the ankle complex even more. You can think about mechanics and form. The position you can get in in a single leg exercise is much more universal than that of a squat. You see lots of different kinds of back squats. You don't see that many different kinds of Bulgarian split squats. They all kind of look the same, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And so there might be something with a hip in that portion where you're not messing with capsular alignment as much because you're in an isolated site. There's a lot of benefits to single leg exercise. But I, I can't buy the argument that, you know, if I do only single leg exercise, it's like, that wouldn't make any sense. Like I would yeah. have, you know, I never would have gotten better at basketball, put it that way. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's a good point. There's a lot to unpack in, in your answer. I think it's all good information is like what it seems like is, you know, it's a little bit of everything, you know, you can't get stuck in one camp completely because there's good benefits from all different things. And I really like what you talk about, about applying like cross application of your of your ingredients into the actual boiling pot of water because you know we all know those weight room warriors who then when they get out the field they don't have any coordination they don't have any balance and they can't do anything on the field so i think that's a, a really important thing for people it's hugely misunderstood at times too especially for um people looking at movement and we're so often concerned you get two parties kind of you got like the movement gurus who only look at someone move and all they're ever going to do is movement and you got the the iron heroes who are just going to load you up and get you stronger but I was consulting with someone and uh, they had an athlete who very strong athlete. I know the guy, the athlete himself. And I was like, I think you basically based on where you're trying to go, you need to do a lot of track and field like exercises because you're very strong right now. And that's probably, you know, the amount of effort you have to put in to get even stronger probably wouldn't even yield that much more versus movement and you can draw that same parallel of movement and strength to that of like any population it's not for athletes only think about an adult population you're working with oh they're strong they can move well but they don't have i mean they're strong move well in the weight room but they don't have the biomechanical fundamentals to actually walk properly right yeah. it was someone who had an injury they still walk with a limp so no matter how much stronger you get them they're not going to move in a way that's efficient for them because they still think they have this injured limb that doesn't exist anymore, but they still think they're weak. And so you have to re-educate people how they move and whether you're an athlete or just an older adult or someone who's trained for the first time, the parallels are across the board. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a really good point for sure. Another thing that we, we noticed, you know, obviously in the, in the weight world uh, weight training and and the uh conditioning world there's always like one camp versus the other and uh and so like to give you a little bit of background like when i was running in track i was a i was a sprint primary a sprinter jumper so i only trained anaerobically i never did i never jogged i never did anything really over 300 meters for for my running you know and you see a lot of people they talk about if you train slow you move slow and so what our question is for you do you think that power athletes 
should improve their aerobic system and work on, on moving slow to improve that? Or do you think they should only train anaerobic? And we know it's like, we had a debate right before we came on here about like sports specific, but what, what, what do you think about that? Well, two things. One, as a track athlete, you probably don't need to really do it. You're so specific. It's yeah. like the most specific of specific. Yeah. Um, and so like, do I really need to build an aerobic base only if it's hindering your ability to train more? Yeah. Right. Is it enough of a base? And probably if you're running sprints uh, there, you've probably built some anaerobic base, right? Yeah. So you have to think about in that standpoint as well. Secondly, we can't deny the fact that training anaerobically does improve your aerobic system. I think this is often misunderstood. Now we, we think that, you know, only, uh, training, you know, your slow, long duration is going to be the way to build your aerobic system. And that's not necessarily the case, you know, high intensity interval training would love to argue with you if that's the, your thought process. Um, because it is a cascade event, your, your, your replenishment and recuperation of the demands of that high intensity interval was, uh, it's going to be aerobic, but what happens there, the reason why we can't do high intensity all the time is because it's just a massive stress response on the body. Think about people who do hit three or four times a week. They get great results the first three weeks. They look like hell, maybe the next three, right? Cause it's such a big stressor on the body. Oh, yeah. yep. Um, you can't, it's really hard. Think about evolutionary, right? We're just going to remove science from this. I like to think about it in more of a theoretical standpoint. When in uh, our evolution, would I have to exert myself at near maximal effort over 40 minutes for intermittent intervals? There must be food everywhere. I'm running around trying to catch and not catching, right? You don't see a deer run around and take a break and run around, and take a break. Now we're imposing the stressor on us because we know the health benefits that, come, benefits that come with us. But also we also have to understand, like, I, I think we, 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 we kind of miss the target sometimes because it is a big stressor, even though it gets a lot of bang for your buck. So I think uh, there's a doc, um, doc hinky, hinky, the run bike doc on Instagram talked about you either want to be red or green. Don't bother with the yellow because when you're in the yellow, it's just going to tax you. So do some green, do some red and do some green when you can't do red. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of like, I really like that because yeah. you do want to have some aerobic training. You, it's good for your health and longevity in life. Mm. Um, I mean, you do want to do power and sprint movements because you want all the benefits that come with it. It's one of the few styles of quote unquote, like universal omnipotent training where you get muscle size increases, you get uh, aerobic base, you get all this fun stuff that comes with it. But it's really demanding. <laughs> You can dive in the hormonal system if you want in that regards, but it, the whole cascade of events that takes place when you're going that hard is quite, quite difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think also the, the argument that I heard was maybe not spending time in the green because then, oh, you're going to get slow, you know, if you're a power athlete and you're doing mm, all these okay. slow things. What do you feel about that? I mean, okay, there's a, there's a kicker on that. If, you, if you're really that so concerned – um, do upper body conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're really in that camp and you're like, I don't want to do anything slow ever. You know, I, I do see some reasons why. And I see it more because if you go for a jog and you're a power athlete who sprints a lot, that's a lot of demand on your lower body tendons and tissues. And so if you're going to go run sprints the next day, you don't want it to hinder you. And so maybe you got to find ways to make this, the cardio non impactful. 
right? And how do I make it something I'm not pounding the ground? Maybe I get in the pool. Maybe I do something uh, more upper body dependent. And obviously there's benefits to maybe just doing some basic cardio too. But again, if you're an athlete who just, that's your specialty, maybe, maybe it's not like the most end all be all, but again, no one, again, it's benefits for health, but no one said, you know, performance has to be paralleled with health. Right. Right. Well, what, what an example of that, like upper body, like, you know, low mm -hmm. level conditioning be. Yeah. A uh, super easy thing you can do. Go grab a pair of bands or a band, depending on how many you got. You can wrap it around um, a pole or a fence, tie it together and literally an alternating limb sequence. So I would do a push, a pull, vertical, horizontal, one limb at a time. So you got eight different, you know, movement you can go through you can even do a core in there so you can do a rotational each side now you got 10 um you can do an anti-rotation if you're really just keeping away from the legs totally or you can do a hinge you technically go sort of kind of low back dominant we're kind of getting the gray area here but then you have 12 basically different exercises that you can do for 20 seconds so if you could potentially do 60 or i like to say if you could potentially do 40 reps just do 20 20 on 20 off 20 on 20 off 20 on 20 off your heart rate would probably sit, you know, for myself, it'd be like that 115, 120 zone, which would be equivocal if I was to go for a really light jog or right. run around. But now I'm using all my limbs as opposed to impacting on just running. Yeah. Gotcha. Love gotcha. That. Yeah. That, no, those are great tips. Um, one thing that I was curious to hear you take on as well is what are like, what are three things that you would say the, the top tier athletes do training wise that, that you see like the people who maybe just don't make it or that are more mediocre? Man, if I had an answer, I'd be worth a lot of money. Um, <laughs> I, there's a couple of things. I've read some very, very elite individuals from wide different range. Um, one of those being actually Brian Shaw, world's strongest man. And one of the yeah, things I got to take away from a lot of these guys is that the, when it's time to go, they focus. They are very, they can have fun, um, but they know it's work and they take it very seriously. And that was one of the biggest takeaways I've had working with wide range and testing athletes and assessing athletes um, is their seriousness in which they take it. Not so serious. They can't, you know, get in and out of it, but when it was time to do a movement, it was very important for them. Yeah. Please don't bother me. That's when I'm going to do my movement. Um, then there's another side, a lot of great athletes are just freaks. Like, let's just be real. Like you can work all you want. If you're not uh, genetically gifted in six, nine, it's going to be hard to be in the NBA. And part of the issue with that is people see a great athlete training they go, Oh, well, maybe this is what got them to where they are. But we don't think about, even if you train your hardest, you're probably not gonna be as strong as LeBron. LeBron genetically is so unbelievably strong or Zion Williamson. There's, they're freakishly strong yeah. that they, they don't need to do strength work because they've been blessed with a base capacity that's far superior than most. Right. And so uh, great athletes aren't always the people who are the, the best at training. They're not the best, you know, gym lifter people who put all the work in because that's typically, you know, it's like the dumb kid is the one who has to study a lot. And that's yeah, me, that's you know, true. like I, I got to study a lot. A buddy of mine who is going to be like an astronaut one day, very distinctly, we had a test and he got literally a hundred percent based on just one study session. It was unbelievable. And so like I want those elite athletes are like, you know, the, the geniuses at times. And the other ones are more like the, the workhorses who just get, you know, their three O GPAs. Right. Yeah. So, so the top tier athletes, you don't want to know their training program because it's not going to help you. <laughs> like, no, not always. Yeah. Nah. 
right. very misleading, right? So oh, it's like uh, it's it's like trying to go to like the beautiful person and ask how they got beautiful. Like, right. oh, you know, like I ah, did this. Like, oh, you're a good parent. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. what you well, did. Well, I think I mean I think that goes for like what we've talked about a lot is like don't always just trust the Instagram model for for their workout program because it's likely either not what got them there or it may not help you out you know so um mm -hmm. so, yeah so it's, it's just buyer beware right it's always like sure. and in the world we live in now we confuse intelligence with like financial status right and so yeah. if you think about you know someone's training and like oh they can train great because they're a great athlete that's not necessarily the case in the same way that someone could just get lucky and get really rich doesn't mean they're really smart you have yeah. a lot of you know super smart teachers that are probably smarter than a lot of billionaires out there yeah. but that doesn't mean you know that they themselves the billionaire are somehow smarter than the teacher yeah for sure exactly so one of the things i want to ask you is you know, about your training philosophies and principles. My philosophies have changed a lot. Uh, you know, I came from a sports background, went to exercise science. Now I'm a physical therapist. So I feel like my, my values of training have changed. Do you have any like overlying or overarching philosophies or principles that you use around training for designing programs? I think myself, I've, I've, I've personally changed much more uh, over the, the COVID situation. And so my background is I was a basketball player in college, small old D3. I was an athletic trainer. I'm an athletic trainer at ATC, mm -hmm. um, a strength conditioning coach. I get my grad degree in exercise science. I worked with sports scientists for several years. Yeah. And um, during the COVID you know, situation, uh, we had limited equipment and whatnot. And when I got back to training is when anecdotally I had some bigger changes in philosophy. Well, what happened was, I liked running outside because I'd been sprinting during, you know, and there's no gym available. So you got to go outside and whatever. And then our gyms opened up and I could come back in, but I made it adamant to myself. I wanted to get outside. So I shrank my workouts to like the nth degree. It's like 35 minute workouts. Um, and then I basically went really heavy and then didn't do much else. I wanted to go run and other things. And I would do like, you know, one set of heavy, you know, a couple of sets of heavy bench. And I kind of realized that maybe I was doing way too much before because yeah. You know, a month and a half goes by and I'm not like a big, strong guy by any stretch of imagination. I've always had like a very weak squat. And we, so we had a big COVID break, like three months. And I come back and, you know, after a couple of months, I squat 460, something like that. And that was the most I've squatted by like 70 pounds. Um, and after a life of kind of trying to lift a little more weight. Um, and then I benched like 340. And I was like, okay, well, maybe something's happening here that is very beneficial to me. Uh, in regards to how I've programmed. And I kind of looked at it and we look at our programming based on what others have done, right? Oh, typically you bench press and you do a smaller exercise. So you do dumbbell bench after. And then, then you get a little smaller exercise, you do flies. And then mm -hmm. I do my triceps after and I'll do another set of triceps and then some side raises. And I kind of look at it, I'm like, maybe that's too much. Yeah. If I am not a person who's taking exogenous uh, supplements, put it that way, um, <laughs> and, and I need to make sure my hormonal system can handle what I'm putting into it, maybe I should just focus on some days doing things really heavy and that's it. Like, why do I think two sets or three sets above 90% isn't enough of a stimulus? Like, that's a massive stimulus on your body. Yeah. So I was going heavy, then I would go lower. And for me, just purely anecdotally, that really changed how I had programmed for myself. Um, but obviously things have, you know, transpired. I'm not necessarily working with as many people in person as I'd like to kind of test this out on. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm purely an adult at this point, but I did cause a big change. It's kind of out of, you know, 
necessity. How can I get a half hour workout and feel like I did something? So I just lifted heavy shit basically. That's, that's really interesting to think about. Cause like anecdotally for myself as well, when I was in high school, I had a coach that was like real old school. It was like a lot of sprints and plows outdoors. And then like max deadlifts with a hex bar or like, it was like really heavy things like super heavy squat. And that was all I did. And I was way more powerful than I ever was in college when I was lifting four days a week for an hour in the gym each time. And I feel like for me, my personal self, it almost just broke me down more all that load. And then being on the track six days a week and in the weight room, four days a week. I mean, we're doing 10 workouts a week and I was way better without it. So that's a, that's an interesting thing that you found that recently. Uh, I'd be interested to see if that plays out in, in a larger population of people too. Yeah, I think in the day the takeaway is, you know, what are you, what are you trying to do in the weight room, right? Are, are you, are you trying to get stronger? Then get stronger. I'm not Mr. Hypertrophy here, so maybe my hypertrophy program would be something different. <clears throat> but like, if you're, if you're trying to get stronger, I think people would agree lifting heavy weights would probably be a good idea. Yeah. And then when you're not lifting heavy weights, lift light things as fast as you can. Yeah. And so you kind of got the combination of the two. And I was doing this seven days a week, and I felt totally normal. Like if I was doing that before i'd be i'd be sleeping 12 hours a day and that's the first time <laughs> trained with no aches and pains and stuff like that and i again purely an adult over kind of a small sure. sample period but yeah. i mean the 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 squat alone i kind of i was actually scared the first time i squatted i had a back squat i wanted to do front squats and i squatted 450 really easily and i was like i haven't put this much on my back ever <laughs> Like, I'm not really sure if I should load this up anymore. Like, yeah. I'm kind of yeah. concerned. <laughs> was, was this like a fluke? Did I not yeah. count it right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. That's crazy. I was, I was legitimately like kind of taken aback by how easy it was. Yeah. And I also I was kind of like, well, I was doing, you know, the lifting. I was doing the front squats because it doesn't cause me as much pain in my back. I hate back squats. I was just doing for the hell of it, my buddy. Because we were just kind of lifting to see when my last day's here. Oh, how much could you lift? And I kind of did. I was like, oh, well, maybe this was a smart idea to kind of do this plan. <laughs> I didn't really think about it. Wow. That's, yeah. that's interesting. And, it, and it's a good lead into my next question. You know, I, I heard you talk about on Mind Pump adaptive <clears throat> currency. Mm-hmm. And I really like that analogy. So tell us about how, how can someone know what are some signs? Like, how do they know where they're at with that on a, on a daily basis? Yeah, there's a couple of ways to look at it. So the idea of adaptive currency is basically you only have so much money, like a bank account to spend on, you know, you're working out and whatnot and your life in general. Lots of life stress means you're paying out adaptive currency here and there because you got to deal with it. What's cool about the idea of adaptive currency is the concept that if we keep lifting, well, we can build up our little bank account a little bit more so we can actually handle more loads and we can do things like that. Um, How someone can understand adaptive currency. uh, I wish uh, if I had the perfect answer again, like I'd be a hell of a lot stronger than I am. Um, But I think there's some basic things you can do. One, are you actually making progress? If you think you're working hard and you're not making progress, maybe you're just recovering every workout and you're not adapting. Right. We need to stimulate the body to create adaptation. I think a lot of times people like to look at a workout and go, did I get better today? And that's kind of the wrong attitude. It's more like, did I stimulate the body in a way that if I keep doing it, it's going to get bigger, right? No one waters a plant one night and goes, oh, I hope it's grown tomorrow, right? And I guess the only thing in the world with weightlifting for some reason, we're like, I, I, if I go harder today and get a couple more sets in because I'm feeling good, I'm going to get that. No, ignore your little you know, devil and angel on the shoulder situation where you're, you're juiced up and ready to roll. Yeah. Really think logically about what you've done in the past and what you're doing now. 
So are you actually making progress? Are you getting stronger? Do you have a goal? Um, because if you're not getting there, it could be a sign you're just, you think you're working hard. It could be a sign that maybe you're working not smart enough or you're, mm -hmm. you're spending your currency elsewhere. A second yeah. way to do it is basic like wearables. Um, HRV, so if you think about your nervous system, you have your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. You parasympathetic, rest and digest. Your yeah. parasympathetic nervous system, fight or flight. If you feel sympathy for someone when you, you see a lion because you get nervous, kind of an easy way to remember it. You see a lion, fight or flight. Now in our world that we live in, we don't really have lions trying to eat us. So we have like our phones and that activates probably too much of a stress response in most people's lives. But also training activates the stress response. You get excited, you get wound up. And sometimes jacking yourself full of pre-workout is a good way to kind of uh, <laughs> turn the heater on all the way up when you shouldn't um, because you kind of can... You, torch the end of it a little bit. Yeah. And so HRV is a way to look at your autonomic nervous system. Typically your autonomic nervous system, HRV itself is highly predicated on sympathetic tone. So an increase in HRV is a more sympathetic nervous system. Hey, I got fight or flight kind of going on or decreased sympathetic nervous system. Now it's an aggregate score of kind of like a check engine light. You don't know the exact area because HRV is like correlated to everything. It's correlated to stub your toe. It's correlated to if you have you know, high blood pressure is correlated to all these things in between. The point is it's an autonomic stressor. So HRV, uh, these wearables are a good tool to look at. Don't look at it daily. Look at it over time. Look at a trend analysis. Don't look at like, hey, today I'm high, tomorrow I'm low kind of thing. Look at it over time. Are you going down? Are you going up? And you can use that in conjunction with like things like resting heart rate. There's some other things to look at too. You know, am I actually... Uh, excited to work out? Do I feel like I want to be there? Am I motivated? Because that could be looking at your central nervous system. Mm -hmm. Again, that's like a dopamine thing, right? Oh, I'm excited. I'm on the right path. I'm doing things great. That takes, that's a you stressor. That's exciting. Cool. A distressor is when you don't like it anymore. It's just a grind and I don't want to have to work out anymore. And a distressor is associated with kind of catabolic actions while you stressor is more anabolic actions. A cool study that looked at parachuters and they looked at guys who jumped out of a plane and guys who jumped out of a plane the first time had a distressor. They were nervous, anxious, low testosterone, high cortisol. They got better at it and they got excited about it. They had an increase in testosterone, a neutral cortisol response because that distressor became a stressor. Mm. So a lot of things you can look at. Are you getting out of bed? Is it taking too long to get to bed? Are you having trouble falling asleep? Are you waking up in the middle of the night? Do you have night sweats? All these things are kind of more general aspects as well. Um, what's your you know, level of fatigue as a whole? Are easy ways to kind of look at it. And again, adaptive currency is like your internal, but you can feed that literally through food. So it could be nutrition that's actually being a problem as well. Yeah. Well, that, that kind of leads us into the, to the next question, which is interesting. We, we were looking a little bit into upper echelon nutrition and, uh, and this might be a chance for you to plug it as well. We're absolutely, interested. I don't know if you guys knew pull I had up, one. Soon. Up. <laughs> there you guys go. There you go. So tell us, tell us about what you guys are doing at upper echelon nutrition. I'm, I'm interested in that. Absolutely. So Paul, Tom, and myself kind of got together and, um, as an athlete, I didn't really have a protein that I thoroughly liked. To be honest with you, as an athlete, a lot of proteins upset my stomach. Like, uh, I think everyone can kind of yeah, had yeah. that experience yeah. once or twice. Yeah, sure. Um, and so we were like, okay, well, what, what can we do to make something that's really, I hate the word clean, but to the point maybe is a better word. And so I literally have it right here. I'm looking at it. I'll read you the ingredients. It's four things. It's whey protein isolate. It's cocoa powder, uh, natural flavors, which include Himalayan rock salt and natural stevia extract. Nice. And so that's it. Like it's to the point. Super simple. Um, uh, we're not adding anything that we don't need to add. And, and so that is something that we stood by and we'll have more things coming out with that in mind. We currently only have 
Actually, we're about to release a vanilla and some other things down the road. I can't really say yet, um, mm -hmm. but they're really exciting and it's it's awesome tasting too. To be honest with you, I, I got it the first time, and I called Tom, who's uh, kind of the honcho behind all this. I said, "Do you need to call the manufacturer? Call the people again? Like, I, I this is this really the taste of it? Like this? Like I was kind of nervous because you kind of get your first sample and you're like, oh, you know, is yeah, this right how we so. wanted it, and then you're <laughs> like, oh." maybe this is too good like yeah call them back <laughs> they, oh. they missed an ingredient it must have just been cocoa powder yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. the chocolate not yeah. cocoa yeah. <laughs> no i really I, love like, it i'm a big fan yeah that's cool i mean like that's the funny thing about supplements is you go to the back of a of a normal protein bottle and it's like so much stuff that you don't really recognize all these crazy things like what the heck is all of this and really all you're doing is looking for that that fuel and like you said without without stomach upset and all the things that come with uh taking protein so that's that's pretty cool i'm excited to see what what comes about with that for sure i appreciate it we're excited too because again it's, we, we made it with we want to stand by something that i i only drink this i have bottles of this everywhere like i want to stand by something that i use yeah um and i i go through too fast apparently um but <laughs> I'm using it. My, my fiance is using it, but yeah, it's, it's something that when you get into that area and um, you're building anything, you want it to really represent you. And so we did our due diligence and we the third party tested, go through all that process to make sure that we're putting out a product that we can stand by. Yeah. Awesome. No, I think that's important. So it's just protein powder right now. Just protein powder right now. We have one chocolate flavor and then we'll have vanilla coming out and we'll have some other stuff coming out down the line that we'll, yeah. we'll kind of tease it, put it there. Pretty cool stuff. The next oh. stuff, the next batch is we, we kind of start with protein to get our, to get, you know, under our, our foundation set up, but there's some fun yep. stuff coming out down the line. Awesome. awesome. Where, where can we send people to check out Upper Echelon Nutrition? And then where can we send people to check, check you out? We know Strong by Science on Instagram is, is what you go by. Is there anywhere else you want to send people? Yeah, so upper up echelon nutrition.com, I think is the, yeah, okay. it's right here. I should just look at it. Yeah. Pretty yeah. <laughs> UE, it's UE nutrition.com. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, we have it even on our bottle, which is convenient. And our Instagram's there too. So if you guys want to follow that. <laughs> there um, you go. Also, Buy a bottle. <laughs> yeah, go get a bottle. It's awesome. I trust me. We have, I mean, we literally have people email us. Like, I didn't think it'd be this good. <laughs> I was like, me neither. <laughs> We're on the same team here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And another one I have, we have theedgeu.com. So that's T-H-E-E-D-G-E-U, just a U.com. And that's an educational website Paul and myself run. Um, I'm very passionate about education as a soapbox store and a cheap plug. Like, I hated school growing up. I didn't, I went to school because basketball was where school was. Um, I take my books all through college. I'd put them under my bed so I knew where to return, where they were when I needed to return them. I didn't read. I almost lost my academics. I, well, I almost had such bad academics that I lost whatever scholarship I had, um, like a 2-0, and I was just really good at Mario Kart. So playing Double Dash, I could probably dog you in it. Um, but I never liked it because I never cared about it. I never saw it being applicable. And then when I went to grad school, I learned a lot, and I learned a lot on my own. And I was like, wow, this – this stuff is exciting for people um, and you should continue to want to learn because it is empowering. And it's something that if you can um, better yourself through your own education, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. And I've already looked at my post-education career as college, like, well, where would I go? And I am kind of a nerd. I like to read a lot. I like to, uh, I'm different than most people, I guess. I'm, I'm pretty nerdy and all. I have piles of books over here yeah, and true. I'm passionate about it. And so 
I wanted to make sure people had an, an area that they could go to and learn in a way that's kind of fun and unique. So it's like these 15 minute video lectures every day we upload as opposed to these long hours. I don't like going to an hour class. Why would you want to listen to me for an hour? I'd rather have you do some every day that's engaging and fun. And that way we can, if you don't like today's topic, you don't need to listen for the next two weeks on this topic. There's a new one coming tomorrow or something like that. And so that yep. way people can, you know, really be uh, enjoying, uh, enjoying the whole process as a whole. My last cheap plug, because why not while we're at yeah, it? Let's get it. Uh, yeah, uh, if you go to my Instagram profile, Strong by Science, or you can check out and Train Heroic Marketplace. I got some programs up there, and I'll be releasing a team here in the future too, which is pretty cool. So that nice. team is like a monthly subscription, but it allows me to engage at a much more, much, much more personal level. So I can upload things I'm reading, upload things I'm talking about, upload uh, you know videos, exercise demos. The programs are programs. The programs are great, um, but the teams allows me to kind of be as if. You're at my gem myself, and I can engage through the message boards, through the content as a whole yeah. in a much more unique fashion than maybe that of the program. So two things that are coming out soon, I guess. Yeah, yeah, love all that. We'll link all that up in the show notes. We definitely recommend all our listeners go and check out everything you're putting out because uh, we, we like when people are putting out quality educational information that, uh, that um, really is like effective in your day to day. So we appreciate you making the time to come on with us, hang out on uh, the high def podcast. Uh, that's it. Appreciate, appreciate it guys. Thank you. You guys do an awesome job here. So well done gentlemen. You got hey. it, man. Have a good rest of your day. If awesome. you make it out, if you make it out to Seattle, you gotta, you gotta look us up, man. I will. Absolutely. He's getting, I love Seattle. He's getting further away though. Yeah, now, uh, I got a buddy moving to Portland, so maybe I'll make my trip up there. I like Seattle area. I like that. Uh, was the Puget Sound right next across yeah. the way? Yep. Oh yeah, we went out there for a trip a couple months, a uh, year and a half ago. Oh really? We just went on a little vacation. We got sweet Airbnb. You could stay at for dirt cheap downtown. Yeah, yeah. A nice one too. Walk to the you know space. I'm kind of right by the fish market thingy. Yeah, yeah. It's a good oh, little deal. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, next time you're out, look, hit us up and get, get a workout in or yeah, something. We'll get you in. Absolutely. Lots of curls. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Later, man. Right, awesome. What is up, guys? Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you liked it, please rate, review, and share it out to some of your family and friends. If you're interested in working with us, head over to highdefseattle.com and click on request an appointment. We also have our beginner programs available under the programming tab of that website. And if you just want to get a little bit more information on what we do as a company, you can head over to highdefmethod.com and download our free ebook resource.